0: The Candid Frame is supported by donations by listeners just like you. Help support the show by clicking on the Donate button on the website or in the show notes. This is e and this is The Candid Frame. I don't know about you, but I have found YouTube to be an incredible resource. It's kind of like this audio-visual encyclopedia where you can find out about virtually anything. Not only have I used it as a source for photography information, but I've also used it to help me to fix things around my house, including my water heater. But This show is not about my handyman skills. YouTube and photography seem to have been made for each other because whether you want to learn about camera specs, Photoshop or just curious as to what another photographer has in their bag, you can find it there. But there's also a lot of junk out there. I mean, how many unboxing videos can you really watch before you just say enough already? I subscribe to a lot of channels, but there are just a handful that I really look forward to like the Art of Photography with my friend Ted Forbes, Big Head Taco with Take up in Vancouver, the Camera Store guys in Canada, and today's guest, Thomas Heaton. Now, Thomas is a landscape photographer who lives in the Northeast part of England. And I'm no landscape photographer, but man, do I enjoy watching his videos. Because he's not just holding a camera and talking about its specs. He takes me on a photographic journey. He doesn't just tell me about what goes into his photography. He shows me. This is a photography YouTube channel that is about, wait for it, photography. Trust me, once you start watching, you'll you'll get hooked even if you have no interest in this type of photography. Just watch his landscape photography fail video and you'll see what I'm talking about. Because Thomas does the one thing that few other channels do successfully. He gets you excited about making photographs. Well, welcome to the to the show Thomas. Uh, it's a pleasure to to have you. I'll no, thank you for having me. Tell me a little about Whitley Bay. Um, you're in the northeast part of, of England, and that's something, I a place that I really don't know a, a lot about. Tell me about what it's like in that part of the country, especially in, the, in terms of uh, your interest in landscape photography.
1: Well, Whitley Bay, what can I say? It's um, I think it's a hidden gem in the <laughs> northeast of England. It's, it's fantastic. The people are very friendly. Um, it's a lovely coastal town. We have... Beautiful seafront and this lovely lighthouse called St. Mary's Lighthouse. There are small cafes dotted along the beach where you can get some bacon sandwiches and a coffee. Um, And it's yeah, it's fantastic. It's a great place to be.
0: Were you born there or did you move there?
1: No, I moved here. I've only been in Whitley Bay for about three or four years. I mean, I've been in the area for about 10 years now. Um, but I'm originally from the northwest of England.
0: So, how how different is that between between the two parts of the of the country?
1: Nah, it's, this, it's not different at all, really. It's only it's a small country. It's not like America. So, <laughs> yeah, it, true. it only it's only a two-hour drive to get to the uh, get to my original birthplace. Um, but no, quite similar. Friendly people, nice scenery. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Was that was that part of the attraction in terms of? Um, Photographically, or was it primarily work that kind of led you here?
1: Well, I think where I grew up in Lancashire, which is the northwest, I grew up on the seafront. Um, And then when I moved to the northeast, I was living in a city called Newcastle, which is great. But I really wanted to live by the sea. So after a while, I decided to back up and move to the coast, which is Whitley Bay. Um, But no, photographically, because... The UK, or especially the north of England, it's quite small, so I have a car. As long as you have a car, you know, you can get anywhere. Um, so it, it wasn't so much photographic opportunities that brought me to this part of the world. Um, if anything, I'm further away than where I would like to be if we're talking photographic opportunities. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a nice place to live.
0: Yeah. You know, I live here in Southern California, so you have access to a lot. You have the the beaches, you have the deserts, you have the mountains, and within a very short period of time, you can access a whole different kind of environment within a short period of of time. You know, what kind of range of of subject matter do you have? I mean, you just mentioned the, the coast there, but as far as your interest in landscape photography, can you describe to us what what you know what choices do you have? that are, you know, pretty readily accessible to you from from where you are in Wheatley Bay.
1: Well, we're very lucky. I know I've been to the States myself a couple of times, and I know that to get from one place to another, you, you know, it can be a big drive. <laughs> it, you, you live in a huge country. Um, but no, in the north of England, um, you can be in a city, and then within 15 or 20 minutes in a car, You can be out in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by countryside, forests, streams, mountains. We have a very, very varied landscapes in such a small area. Yeah, we really are blessed, very lucky. So if I wake up in the morning and I decide I want to go to the beach and do some seascapes, then that is going to be all of 10 minutes away. And if I want to go and climb a mountain, you know, that's about half an hour to an hour away and if we want to go into an ancient forest um maybe half an hour and if we want to do some cityscapes or street photography just 15-20 minutes you know it's everything's on our doorstep.
0: Yeah was was that natural world uh, that you that you now frequently photograph part of of your youth growing up I mean a lot of people here who in the United States grew up in in cities and so the idea of going out into nature is actually you have to make an effort to do that. But for some other people, you know, part of being part of nature is just part of, of, part of either where they lived or part of the culture in which they, they grew up And Tell me about that part of your, your life. Was it always a part of your life or did it come later as you gained an interest in photography?
1: Well, it, it wasn't a part of my life in that I lived in quite uh, – well, I lived in a small tourist town so lots of people lots of shops lots of fairgrounds and everything i suppose you would compare where i grew up to somewhere in the states like um what's that place just outside of new york where you have all the roller coasters
0: oh Coney Island yeah yes mm-hmm. that's well that's
1: where i grew up the england's version of Coney Island oh okay um But we used to do a lot of camping and a lot of weekend trips because where we lived, and especially in England, like I said earlier, you're only ever, you know, an hour from wilderness, um, small wilderness, but still wilderness, to be outdoors, climbing trees, building dens, running around and getting into trouble. That was what I always did. And I was always happiest outdoors. And I always appreciated nature and what it had to offer. And growing up as an early teenager, everybody used to call me Nature because <laughs> you know I would appreciate things that other people perhaps wouldn't. Um, you know, they'd be more interested in computer games and football, and I would be more interested in going camping um, and exploring. As I grew up and gained more independence with regards to being out of school and having the time and flexibility to go and explore on my own, it's um it's only natural that I would start to want a camera. Um, and that's that's what happened. I've always had an interest in photography um, ever since a young child. Um, but you know, the digital age happened about 10 years ago, I think it was the canon 350d or well, I think you guys called it the rebel or something <laughs> yeah. or yeah. Um and it was that that really opened it up for me
0: yeah I was reading that you uh learned photography in school when it was still revolved around film and that uh you got yes. into the dark room but you had to get over your your claustrophobia is that right oh
1: that's funny I'm, I'm claustrophobic I am terrible I am I am a great rock climber so I'm fine with heights um I I I'm scared of very little i finding spiders and anything like that. But the one thing I can't handle are small enclosed spaces. And it's funny because I've been commissioned to do a photo shoot in a cave <laughs> in a few weeks. And yeah, that's going to be fun. I've got to go caving, like um, oh, wow. proper caving, squeezing down tight holes and then taking photographs. So I'm not sure how I'm going to handle that, but we'll see. Uh, but yeah, I had to go in a dark room and had a revolving door. And you'll know if you've ever been in a dark room that it takes a second for your eyes to adjust. Yeah. So going through that door into pitch blackness, convinced that I was never going to come out alive. <laughs> it's just, it's irrational. But, you know, any, anybody listening to this that has claustrophobia, they will know that irrational feeling that you get when you're in an airplane toilet and you think for a second that the door's not going to open.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, those are the, yeah. That's probably the worst for someone with claustrophobia is an airplane toilet. Oh my
1: god! Yeah, it's the same with the dark room. Um, but you you get used to it, um, and then before I knew it, it was fine.
0: You know, one of the interesting things about, for me, about landscape photography is how expansive the scenes are. And I know that's a big part of of the appeal. I mean, you have the skies, you have the the grass, you have the trees, and for me, sometimes all of that can seem really overwhelming and. I, and I wonder for you, how did you come to start to understand how do the difference between seeing that with your naked eye and seeing how the camera saw to the point that you could make an effective photograph? What was your training ground for being able to train your eye to see like the camera does?
1: No, oh, that just comes with experience. Um, so you go out, you see a lovely landscape with some nice light and you take a picture and then you go home and you look at the picture. And you think, hmm, that doesn't look as good as what I remember seeing. And you do that time and time again, and you're not sure where you're going wrong. But over time, you start to realize, well, perhaps if I'd have, you know, zoomed in and focused on this area um, or looked at it from this angle, then it would make for a better image. So that just comes with experience. Um, I think one of the mistakes that beginners make, and I I certainly made it, is you get overwhelmed and you just take a picture of the scene in front of you rather than stopping and thinking about why that scene is so nice. Um, And often what happens is you end up trying to get everything in the frame and your image can appear quite jumbled and quite messy and there's going to be too much going on. Whereas if you look at a scene and think this is amazing, why is it amazing? Why? And then you look at it and you start to Focusing on certain elements.
0: Is it is it like uh, a process of elimination? Deciding what you're going to get rid of and what you're going to keep.
1: Yes, definitely. So, Um, look at a photograph or frame. What I do is I tend to frame my image and then think, right, what don't I like? What what don't I want in the image? What um, what can I get rid of? And because the less distractions, the better. So if you know, for for example, you get a lovely sunset. Um, with some really nice clouds um it, you know it's often better to tilt the camera up to try and make just just the sky your subject with a bit of foreground so that it adds some perspective but if you try and get everything in the you know the beach the waves the rocks the whole sky the sunset sometimes that can be a bit too much i mean that's probably a bad example of it yeah it's it's really just learning learning what's going to work and that just comes with experience and practice
0: how how much do you need to know about the places that you're 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 going to are you because i look at some of your shots and they look absolutely wonderful and then i remember that whatever light that i'm admiring in in the photographs is pretty fleeting it doesn't last for very long so do you go in kind of having an idea are are you going to places repeatedly in order to get your shots you know what's involved in you you know you can't guarantee, but that increases the chances that by the time you've hiked to this this spot, wherever it is, that you'll get something that you're happy with.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What you don't see is all my failures. <laughs> so um, it's not so much about what I do to get it right. It's how I um, uh, sort of limit people seeing why they're wrong all the time. So yeah, it's right. It's about revisiting the location. But there are certain things that you can do to give yourself the best possible chance. So you know, check the weather would be the first one. If the weather forecast is quite poor like it is here today. And don't waste your time going out um, because it's it's likely that it's not going to happen. And then sometimes what people tend to do, and what I've done in the past, is you'll take a photograph anyway. So it's not right. You're not happy. It's raining. It's grey, whatever. And they take a picture and then they'll go home and they'll look at the picture and they'll still not be happy with it. But then they'll share it with everybody and, you know, sometimes it's best just to leave your camera in the bag and go back another day. You could say it's luck. Um, you know, I've been to places, i was got an image in San Francisco of the Golden Gate Bridge um, with uh, all the sea mist rolling in. Now, I'm not sure how rare that is. Obviously, it happens quite a lot, but I don't think it happens every day. But I, I just happen to be there on that day. So there is an element of luck, but there's also an element... Of effort as well, you know. If you're there with your camera, you know, you, the more you go out with your camera, the more luck you're going to get. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: You know, when people are are learning a new skill, whether it's photography or learning a, a new instrument, there's a point where you get really excited initially because it's sort of a new toy, it's a new practice, and then you start doing it, and you start, and initially you're not particularly good at it, right? You start, you know, you start you know, looking at the work and you're just are feeling it's not as good as what you know it could be. And, yeah. and a lot of people give up because they get really frustrated. And and I wonder for you, what kept you motivated? Because it wasn't just about you getting out of a car, seeing a pretty scene and making a photograph. You're making a, a really big effort to get to some of these spots. So what what do you think kept you kept you motivated, kept you going out there despite all the effort and all the all the work that you had to do to get there, and sometimes for for a period of time not getting satisfactory results.
1: Well, I think for me it's because I enjoyed the journey, so it wasn't so much about taking the picture; it was the everything involved in taking the picture. So it was like um, it's almost like a sport. You know, you you, um, you plan it. You do a big hike. You know, maybe a four, five, six mile hike. Um, up a mountain or wherever and that in itself that is enough you know Mm. that's that's enough fun that's enough of an adventure then to try and get a photograph if you do get that photograph then the elation that you feel is is phenomenal so you only need to get that feeling once to know that you can get it again so if I ever am feeling demotivated which happens all the time especially in summer then you just just Take a break for a few days um, because sometimes you can immerse yourself in photography too much. I know I do it all the time. And you can start doubting yourself when you see all these amazing images all over the internet. But yeah, just go back to basics. Um, Think about just being in the outdoors, exercise and getting out. And when you start relaxing and enjoying it and not trying so hard, then you'll find that things come together. Um, I suppose so... In a sense, yeah, keeping myself motivated is knowing what can happen if everything comes together.
0: I'm sure that one of the questions people have is, you know, how do you sort of balance your work life with having the opportunity to go out and, and shoot? Tell us a little bit about your, your day-to-day in terms of how you're earning a living and um, how you, you know, how you find the time to be able to go out and spend, you know, uh, photographing out in, out in the wild.
1: I'm quite lucky because I I run my own business, which is a photography studio, so um, I can be fairly flexible, Um, so a lot of work that I do revolves around the camera. So I have the opportunity to not only do the boring jobs that pay the bills, but sometimes great opportunities come along to do more exciting jobs, like um, a project I'm doing for Visit England, where I get to travel all, all over the country and photographing amazing landscapes for for them uh, including the one in a cave which I'm really not looking forward to (laughs) Uh, but what I would say is if you do have a nine till five job if you are passionate about photography um, you're quite lucky because landscape photography does not happen between nine and five it happens you know at six and then at eight so um, if you're passionate enough, you'll you'll get up a couple of hours earlier and you'll go out and try and capture that sunrise. And then, of course, there's the weekends. And my favourite are uh, the holidays. So if, um, if you're lucky enough to have a, an accepting girlfriend or fiancé like myself, then you can persuade your other half to perhaps go on a slightly alternative holiday somewhere. So I'm not sure... Um, where people go on holiday in America, probably Florida or somewhere, but yeah I mean always I always try and use opportunities and try and steer them in the in the direction of photography um, so yeah,
0: you know one of the things I hear about England is about the weather, you know yes. about it's just yeah. a lot of rain you know' expected right. to down there yeah it's a lot of everything yeah and and people say you know people who do a lot of nature photography oh storms are great you know rain is great and but i'm going yeah if it's waning all the time that can be a real bear yeah so what's how does that you know how does the sort of the natural weather that you normally um experience there sort of a a good or a bad thing with respect to your photography What, what kind of challenges does that present for you
1: well, OK, so England has a very benign weather system. It's it's not like America, where if you get a storm, you get a big storm and you get tornadoes. And uh, if you go to California in the summer, it's really hot. So in England, in the winter, it's wet. And in the summer, it's wet. It is broken up with sunshine and occasional storms. Uh, but I think the great thing about England is the weather is incredibly changeable. So one one morning it can be raining and then that afternoon it can be boiling hot sunshine followed by hail and snow and then some more sunshine. So if it's bad for one day, um, the likelihood is there is going to be a small window whereby the weather's going to change. And what's also great is other than flat grey rain where there's no light at all and You know, it's just completely grey and completely wet. Other than that, every these scenes, these mountains, these lakes, these rivers, these forests, they can all look like completely different places depending on what day you photograph them. One day you can get glorious sunshine, the next day you can get snow, and then a day after that you can get storm and clouds and wind. So we're quite lucky in the sense that it does we do get a variety of weather. But if you come on holiday here, just pack for all seasons because it's going to be warm, <laughs> wet, cold and windy. I, think I, I took a photograph. Um, it was taken in Scotland just before Christmas um, and it was of the same forest and they were taken two days apart. Image one was minus six degrees Celsius and two foot of snow. And then image two, which was taken 48 hours later, was... Plus thirteen degrees Celsius and no snow, completely green and covered in moss. So that kind of uh, that shows you and um, the variation in weather that we can get. Wow.
0: Well, with, with that kind of unpredictability, how how does that affect your your planning? Because planning is a big part of being able to take advantage of of the locations that you are. And but part of that is that you know you have to go prepared in terms of the equipment you're taking not just in terms of camera equipment but like like clothing and and water and all these other things so but you don't want to take too much you don't want to be so much loaded with bear that you're physically exhausted by you get to the spot because you've taken too much stuff so yeah. how much you know yeah. what what's your thought process when you're planning to go to a location in terms of the research that you need to do and what you decide to take with you and what you decide to to leave
1: well, luckily, we have a very good um, weather forecasting group or body called the Met Office. Um, and they get very, very, very accurate weather forecasts um, within 24 hours. Um, anything outside of 24 hours, you've got to take with a pinch of salt. Yeah, we do get accurate weather forecasts. Um, but the mountainous areas have microclimates of their own. So we have a system called the mountain weather forecast, where you get accurate forecasts for within the mountains. So we always check these, and it does give you an idea. Um, and it's just a case of taking precautions. Um, l- luckily, we we don't have great wildernesses whereby you can be days and days from help. Uh, we are a small country, so um, it's quite difficult to find yourself stranded um, very far from help. You know, no certainly no more than a few hours. But always, always take a waterproof jacket and always take a hat and a pair of gloves, even in summer. Um, and then generally you'll be fine so long as you check the forecast. I think the biggest mistake people make is just to look at the weather out of the window and go, oh yeah, it's sunny, let's go. And then two hours later they're caught in rain and wind, which does happen to me actually quite a lot. But it's just about limiting risks and checking the weather forecasts, knowing where you're going as well.
0: In your videos, I usually just see you alone going out there. So do you normally just go alone? Or are, are there people with you that we just don't see on camera? Or or do you let just people know where you're going to be and the, the route they're going to be in terms of you know safety and, and all that, especially if you're going out by yourself?
1: Um, yeah, it depends where I'm going. If I'm just going to the beach, then it's fine. It's perfectly safe. Uh, if I'm going up into the mountains, you, usually I go alone. Occasionally, I go with some friends. Um, and most of the time, if I'm with people, I don't film it. So you'll never see that. But yeah, if I'm going out on my own, I will tell my girlfriend where I'm going and what time to expect me back. And then I will tell her, if you don't hear from me by three o'clock tomorrow, call the rescue team, <laughs> you know, which she hates. But yeah, so it's always tell people where you're going and what time you'll be back.
0: You know, one of the, one of the benefits we have here in the States is we have so much public land uh, you know, we have the state parks, the national parks, and from my understanding, there's a lot of private private land that that, uh, that if you want to get in some interesting locations, that it's not as accessible as it is here. Can you tell us a little bit about about that?
1: Yeah, um, it's slightly different. In, well, I'm not an expert, but as far as more, it's slightly different in England to to Scotland. But yeah, we have uh, the the right of access laws, um, which means. There are public footpaths that go across private land that you're allowed to go on. Luckily, most of our scenic areas um, are in national parks. And so with them being national parks, there is an abundance of access. So we are allowed in a lot of places. It's, it's a case of common sense, really. Don't, don't go any, on any farms with livestock and don't go in anybody's back garden yeah most most of the national parks you will find that you're okay and that you can just roam around free more so in Scotland i believe than in England um but generally just take a common sense approach if you know if there's a big field and there's a fence around the field but there's an amazing tree with a rainbow going over it you know if you can safely get into that field without causing any harm or trampling on any crops um no one's going to mind um you know, you're not, you're not doing anything wrong. So I, I don't worry too much about that. Um, I think it's just common sense and showing a bit of respect.
0: And there, there, There's some sort of um, rule of thumb in terms of the highest built wall or something like that? Yes, what's, <laughs> the what's fell about? wall.
1: So um, it's to do with camping. Strictly speaking, it is illegal to camp in England um, unless you're on a campsite or you get landowner's permission. Um, but the National Park's um, they tolerate wild camping, in fact some of them encourage it. It's one of those laws that was written about 200 years ago or something, you know, it's it really should be changed. But yes, yeah, so the general rule of thumb is if you want to go camping in the mountains, which is perfectly fine, although technically illegal, the advice is to do it above the highest fell wall, and the fell walls are just boundaries on the hills of... Which you know um, mark farms and agricultural land. So if you look on a map, you can see a big mountain, and you can see lots and lots of walls that make a grid pattern, and they are farms. Um, so as long as you are above the highest wall, um, that is not going to be farm for livestock. So you're fine; you can camp there. Yeah, so this is just a general rule of thumb to make sure that you don't get trampled by cows when out camping.
0: <laughs> that, that would be a good part of the plan. Yeah,
1: that would be a nightmare. <laughs> so, um, but it does happen. You'd be surprised there are some idiots out there.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, there's no shortage of those. No. <laughs> well, you came to my, uh, my attention because of your YouTube video, your YouTube channel. I, I love your videos. I don't practice that kind of photography, but I love how you take us on a journey. Uh, it's not a just about you know here's some tips or here's a review of the gear uh you g- actually get to experience what you what you're uh going through in order to go out and make your photographs first off i just compliments for 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 the production value and just everything about them it's just completely engaging tell me about why you decided to create a channel and you know and basically produce it in the way that you do
1: Okay, so yeah, about a year ago, or not not too much longer than a year ago, I was just browsing on YouTube looking at mountain bike videos and climbing videos and ooh, I wonder if there's any good photography videos. So I had a look around and what I found was an abundance of tutorial videos. Um, and an abundance of Lightroom and Photoshop videos. People sat at the computer saying, this is how you edit a shot, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I really thought, you know, this someone's missing something here. I really just want to... I don't want to be taught anything. I just want to be inspired. Um, <laughs> so I decided to just, yeah, maybe next time I go out with my camera, I'll film some of it. So I went for a walk and I just had my iPhone um, and I just filmed what was happening, and just talking to the camera, walking around, um, and it got, quite, it got quite good feedback. It seemed to get a positive response, um, so I made another one, and then another one, and then another one, and, and it just kind of continued, the, the really picked up traction, um, and I think it's a great way as well, because I'm always a big believer in an image, you know, in an image telling a story, and I always think the best images are the ones with a great story behind them you know whatever that story is even if it's you know I went out and I got caught in the rain and got really wet but here's a great photograph so that kind of thing so to to have a video and then to have an image at the end of it and you can so you sort of get the entire package and I really think people appreciate the storytelling and um, I really think people appreciate the honesty as well I try and keep things as real as possible it's just me and a GoPro um, so there's not really any major production value there just just honesty
0: I suppose well you make it look as if it's because at first it was like wait a second this guy's by himself and then I started just just you know where the camera was what you were showing and then I realized oh he's he's setting up the camera and he's including himself in the shop but then and then he has to come back and get the camera
1: and, yeah. <laughs> and, all, and
0: and and it made me realize how much effort and energy goes into doing that and to tell me about you know I mean you're ultimately trying to get to a location to make a photograph. But then you also yes. have to think about, oh, I have to get enough footage to make this video sort of make sense in terms of the story. So how do you sort of balance that out? What are what are the challenges in terms of being able to, to do both?
1: Well, there are a couple of challenges. One is time. So if I'm going out with the camera, uh, the video camera, I'll need to leave an hour earlier than I normally would because I need an additional hour just to make, time for stopping, talking to the camera, dropping the camera on the floor and then walking past it and then coming back and picking it up, um, which seems to be a favourite of my viewers. (laughs) They all seem to like that. I don't think any of them understand how TV works. Um, Unfortunately, I can't get my own film crew. Um, Yeah, now the biggest challenge is doing sunrise shoots because a lot of the filming will be in darkness because... um, yeah, it's dark before the sun rises. So if it takes me an hour to get somewhere, then that's an hour of darkness I need to film in. So that's a big challenge for me. And I've tried putting LED lights on my camera, and it, it's good, but it really hurts my eyes. You can see an example of that in the one the uh, um, the video I shot in California it was the um, Sierra Nevada's. At the start of that video, you can see I've got a big bright head because there's a big torch on me. Mm-hmm. So. I have just bought another camera, um, which I'm going to dismantle and take the infrared filter off the back of the lens, and then put it back together, and I should have an infrared camera so I can film at night time.
0: Oh, nice. That'll be a nice nice addition, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's the plan. I'm, I might just break the camera trying, but, you know, it'll be worth it. So that's that's the plan there. Um, But yeah, there are lots of challenges. And I think the biggest challenge is trying to remember that I'm not making a video, I'm taking a photograph. So the photograph always comes first, always. So if if there's no photograph, there's no video. Um, So if I don't get to that location in time, then everything I've done is pointless. So I'll always try and concentrate on the image first. Um, So if I have the choice between... Taking a cutaway shot of um, a lake or a mountain or something, or running to the top and getting the picture, I'll always go and get the photograph. So yeah, the the photograph always comes first.
0: So uh, have there been times when you've gotten to the location and the and because of the weather or whatever, um, there was no shot? Does that happen? Truth. Yeah, that
1: happens all the time, <laughs> all the time. Um, as I'm sure, I am not the only one who has experienced, you know, the failure of light. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I've probably got about six videos on my timeline that haven't gone out um, because I just never got the shot. There was one in particular where I got stuck in traffic and then I got lost So this whole video is me trying to capture the sunset and really I'm just lost on the Yorkshire moors. Um, And so I've got this great video, but there's nothing more than me wandering around saying I'm lost. So that's not very good. I did recently upload a video whereby the weather got the best of me and I didn't really get a shot I was happy with. And the reason I I decided to upload that um, rather than just keep it on the uh, edit suite floor is it really showed the determination and the change in weather that can happen as well and um, so that that did have a message that came with it and um, but generally if i don't get an image then i won't post a video
0: were you surprised by the uh uh the popularity of of the channel and and yes. the and the feedback that you got <laughs> yeah it's crazy well, um, when did you realize you might be on or something
1: when some somebody Uh, somebody sent me some stuff so people want to give me stuff (laughs) to put in the video (laughs) It's like right, okay Um, so I get sent a lot of junk which I politely decline Um, but no um, there's just so much positivity, people emailing me saying how much I've inspired them that's always a nice one Um, yeah, companies wanting to get on board and see if I can promote their product um, just the growth as well I think the yeah seeing it grow week after week is really positive and exciting you know people say I'm the favorite youtuber and, and favorite photographer and what these people need to realize is that <laughs> i'm I'm not that good I'm just filming what I'm going through so I'm certainly nothing special there are many many photographers who are more talented than me and um, but I just think people like the Honesty and realism behind the videos,
0: and they're, yeah, they're there to entertain so i will say it you know, I think you're a very good photographer, oh thank you, and uh that's one of the reasons I wanted you on the show, but I think that what you're doing with with your channel is w- w- what you're speaking to this the idea that you're being very sincere and very forthright in terms of what you're sharing and that you're sharing your your journey uh, I think a lot of a lot of people uh out there, whether it's on podcasts or youtube channels or or, or whatever, um, pump themselves up and they're going, Hey, I'm, you know, the best thing is in sliced bread, and this is how you do things, and this is the equipment you should buy. And there's a lot of pontificating going out there. And what I appreciate about your your video channel and you're just in your presence is the fact that you're saying, Hey, I'm on a journey. I'm trying to be creative. This is the this is the world in which I'm choosing to practice my art. And I'm learning as much as anybody else, and I'm just sharing what my experience is. And then you're not saying, oh, this is the only way you you should do things, and any other way is stupid or wrong. And I love that, and I I think there's not enough of that, and that's one of the reasons I I want people to know about what you're doing. Because I think whether or not people practice landscape or nature photography, there's a lot to be learned from having that kind of attitude about doing something that you love.
1: Yeah, I'm always very careful not to say this is how to do it. I'm always, I'm always careful to say this is how I do it. Um, I keep getting abuse for using filters. <laughs> why are you using filters? You don't need filters. You don't need filters. Yes, well, I don't. So you don't, maybe don't, don't need them, but I like to use them. And, and that's that. And they get people say, hey, if you should have done this, and why didn't you do that? Do this. and They're all great suggestions. And, you know, maybe I will. And it's actually good. I'm learning a lot from mm-hmm. these comments. Um so I, I don't think I will ever stand up there and say this is the best way to do something. And that's the great thing about photography is it, there are a million ways to achieve the same result. And it's all about personal preference. And it's all about what you enjoy doing and what you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, because in the end, it's about the end result. It's about the photograph. Yes, you know, yes, definitely. It's 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 not like you go up to you know Hemingway if he was still around and go, God, I'd love your book, but what, what kind of typewriter do you use? yeah yeah (laughs) no i think think
1: people really need to realize that uh, a good image isn't made with a good camera it's made with a camera you just need a camera yeah you know it's not it's not a five pound camera that makes the sun rise and makes the sky glow bright red it's being there at that moment and capturing it so people need to steer away from being obsessed with gear and and look more at certain practices that can help you achieve better results. And I try and get that across as well. People always ask me what kit I use. And I do tell them, I always post everything that I use, but I, I don't necessarily think they're the best questions to ask.
0: Yeah. Well, besides the, you know, your photographic equipment, which people can find out by going to the website, besides the yeah. lenses and the cameras, what are the things that you absolutely have to have with you in order to make an outing? A successful one what are the things you cannot afford to leave behind
1: food and a jack a warm jacket and a tripod you need a tripod Oh, anybody that goes out without a tripod to take landscape is crazy so yeah tripod a warm jacket because if you're cold you will want to go home some food because if you're hungry you will want to go home and um, a good map. Take a map so you know where you're going, and you can relax. You know, there's nothing worse than the anxiety of thinking that you are lost. So you need to, in, in order to get a great image, you need to be totally focused um, on that moment, um, and to remain focused, you need to make sure that everything else is taken care of. So just make sure that you're safe, yeah. and that you're comfortable. And and that's it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and le- learn how to read a paper map. I mean, these f- smartphones are great, but. <laughs> Once the battery dies or you have no reception, it's like you're going to have to go old school.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just a a good map. I mean, great use. I use my GPS device on my phone because it's quick and easy. But I've always got a map in my bag. And I always know where I am on that map. Um, So, yeah, definitely just make sure that you're confident in the outdoors. And, you know, even, you know, forget going up mountains. You know, if you're just walking from the car park by a lake, you still want to be warm and comfortable so just make sure that you've got enough warm and dry clothing and some nice food. Take a flask with some hot tea and try and get there early as well so you don't stress. You know, Just try and relax, enjoy the moment, take the time. It's, to get a good photograph, you need, to, you need to have time and you need to be in a, a good place, a good mood.
0: In one of your videos, I saw you uh, getting water from a stream using this sort of filter straw. Yes. Because water is absolutely essential up there and... I thought that was really cool. I've never seen... I've seen filters, but I never saw a filter where you could actually just drink directly from the stream.
1: Yeah, it's quite cool. Um, Yeah, it just just saves on weight. I wouldn't advise it if you weren't 100% sure there was going to be a water source nearby. Um, But I knew that I was hiking up a river, so there was always going to be water. So I didn't really want to take two kilos of uh, cold water with me. So instead... I just take a small filter and then people say, well, you can drink from the stream anyway, which yes, you can, but there's always a chance there's going to be a dead animal just a few miles up the oh. stream and it's going to be full of bacteria and Yuck. ruin your photography trip.
0: Well, you had a chance to come out to the States. I saw that you photographed in the Alabama Hills and, and elsewhere. And uh, Yes. Tell me about what that experience was like as compared to you know your normal stomping grounds. How did you find the experience of coming out to the States to, to make your kind of photography?
1: Oh, right. Okay. That's a controversial answer, probably. Um, so I Yos- went to Yosemite Valley, first of all, and it was just awful. Oh, I had the worst time. Um, it was beautiful. And when I didn't have my camera, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. We had some great food. We went on some great walks. It was amazing. But when I got the camera out to try and take some photographs, it was incredibly busy. Um, really, really busy. Um, it was. It was. There are there more photographers now. I'm not. I can't say this in a negative way because I was one of those phot- photogra- photographers. So um, I'm part of the problem. Um, and I suppose photography, in a way, can be a victim of its own success. But when I tried to get a photograph of tunnel view, it was the first time I've ever had to queue to to pop my tripod down and take a photograph. And I'm used to having no one else around. So that was quite a shock for me, Um, and again, I don't know if you've been to Yosemite National Park and Yosemite Valley, but it's a one-way road system, and it's not very big, it's just a couple of miles up and down, but I remember one evening, the sun was setting, and it was setting on the trees, and I wanted to be on the other side of the meadows, which would require driving in a a a U-shape, so driving about half a mile down and then coming back on myself, and... Here I am in this amazing, amazing wilderness surrounded by El Capitan and the three brothers and we've got the river and it's gorgeous and we've got these meadows and we were just in gridlock traffic, just complete gridlock. I mean, again, I was in a cast where I was part of the problem. Um, but I think it was a bit of a shock. I wasn't expecting mm. for it to be so busy. But, you know, still the same rule applies if you get out early enough. And you you know, it was easy enough to find a bit of peace and quiet. However, after Yosemite, um, or oh, sorry, before Yosemite, we were in Death Valley and we were in the Alabama Hills. And that was just phenomenal. I mean, America has got the best landscapes. Um you know I've, I've been a couple of times and there I've, I've not even touched on what america has to offer um it's it's fantastic um and san francisco as well that's a great city um, great for photography great for culture um, but yeah i think i had a bad time at yosemite just cuz it was just incredibly busy lots of people in your photograph and i was getting in other people's photographs as well by mistake so all in all it was a bad time
0: well you know there there some nature photographers that are out there and their, their rule of thumb is to always be, have, uh, don't walk so far away from your car that you can't see it. Yeah. And then there are others that like you that will go out and then they will hike five, six, eight, whatever distance in order to get uh, a location. And I think that that's, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about what, what you do is the fact that, you know, you'll put in the effort and the time and the energy to get to the spot. And I think that a lot of the the great Nature photographers know that that's what you have to. That's what you have to put in, in order to get something really worthwhile out. If you're just going to go to the spot where it says Ansel Adams, you know, stood here and put your tripod here and make your photograph, you know, I don't know if you'll have any real success in making a body of work that is representative of your own unique point of view.
1: Yeah, that's true, um, definitely. But again, I wouldn't want to discourage anybody from going and getting those shots because um, it's. Great practice, and it's always good to have something in your portfolio um, like that. But yeah, you'll, you will come to a point where you start realizing that you want to make images of your own and not replicate what everybody else is doing. And in order to do that, you need to get out there and find new locations and new compositions, and that often means getting off the beaten track and trying to find new pastures. Yeah.
0: Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? (laughs)
1: That is a good question. Um, Okay, I think I'll just go with one of my favorite photographers who is called David Noton. That's N-O-T-O-N. He's a British photographer, and he's been around for many years. And he has lots of great books. And I would say that his book, which is called "Chasing," I want to say "Chasing the Lights." Hang on, I've got it here. He's called David Noton, and he's a fantastic photographer. And it's his books that have inspired me to progress with my photography.
0: Yeah, I'm familiar with that book because my own book was. Had the same title. Ah, okay. (laughs) So it's a very different type of photography from what David did, but yes.
1: (laughs) Yes. so his his books are amazing. He did another one called Full Frame as well. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but that is a great book as well.
0: And where can people go to find out more about you you and your work?
1: my um my website has everything on there in terms of links to social media and youtube and everything so just visit my website which is thomasheaton.co.uk
0: well thomas thank you so much it was a real pleasure to, to have a chance to talk with you and and continue the great work that you're doing
1: no oh, it was my pleasure and um, i hope i hope you liked everything that i had to say
0: Thanks again for joining me. To access our complete archive of interviews, download the free Candid Frame app, available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8. Links for each can be found in the show notes and the website at thecandidframe.com. The Candid Frame audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.